Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 238. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. Today, our guest is Daniel Amaduri. Daniel first aired on the podcast in episode 188, where we talked about different money trends and how to best use money to serve you. Well, I'm having Daniel back on the podcast to talk about why you should not save for retirement. Yes, do not save for retirement. Daniel's latest book titled Just That, Do Not Save for Retirement, makes a compelling reason for how you should build cash flow now and in the future rather than saving a nest egg to use once you hit retirement age. So I'm excited to dig into all those details with Daniel on the show today. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. All right, today I welcome on the show back again, Mr. Daniel Amaduri. Daniel, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show again. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It's a great uh, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Well, hey, you were last on the podcast, episode 188, back in February 2019. A lot's changed for you since then. Had to get you back on. And I really wanted to talk to you about this new book you just released. So before we jump into all that, if the audience members haven't listened to episode 188, your first guest appearance here, you just rewind a little bit, tell us about yourself, who you are, your background, your story, all that good stuff real briefly. Sure. Uh, I have always been fascinated with money and investing uh, since I was a boy, uh, entrepreneurship. And I just, it was like a hobby. It's always been a passion of mine. So I ended up buying houses right when I turned 18, right out of high school. And of course, like many investors had a big blow up in 2008 and then rebuilt and rebuilt it safer and better. Uh, my wife and I called it our financial moat that we were building. Because uh, after the 2008 crisis, we we're like, let's just not be poor, forget about being rich. And uh, uh, that's what ultimately uh, helped me write the book, Don't Save for Retirement, so that I could share my wife and I's experience and the things we learned, as well as the things we're investing in right now. That's awesome. So this book, Don't Save for Retirement, sounds a bit contrarian, right? Like most people, that might give them some real hesitation or make their heart flutter a little bit. So what exactly do you mean by that? Don't save for retirement. Sounds yeah, like yeah. bad advice on the surface, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was I, a New York Times reporter reached out to us two days ago and was really beating me up about it and uh, uh, asking me for all the data on how many people live off of passive income and how many people have uh, been successful going from middle class to passive income. And I said, you know, there's no real data because there's not a lot of studies. I'm like, but what there is data for is just how bad and how, what a failure retirement is. According to Vanguard, uh, 65 and older, the medium account in a 401k is only $58,000. Uh, we know they're getting 0% on their savings and we know their pension systems are either gone or 
like Social Security, a government type uh, pension or not wasn't meant to be that way, but uh, is completely bankrupt and not paying people even a survival uh, wage. So, you know, when I look at the alternative of saving for retirement, I was like, this is a really bad idea. And why aren't people just focusing on what the wealthy do? You know, the middle class get caught up in speculation. I'll just put my money in a 401k and hope that it works out okay yeah. years from now, as opposed to what the rich do, which is they find things that preserve their wealth and grow it with income. And so that was really what I was trying to tell people is don't save for these conventional retirement schemes. They're not working. There is another proven way that people have been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. And it's very simple. Instead of giving your money to Wall Street where they can fee it and commission it to death, how about taking your capital and simply buy more income? Don't think about your household as a one or two income earners. You can have 21 income earners. You got to put those George Washingtons and Ben Franklins to work too. I love it. Yeah. And so Daniel, it's never too late or too early to start thinking about retirement, but there's a huge demographic out there that is primed for this conversation. That is millennials, my cohort, right? And you know, one of these things you mentioned is, you know, why put all your money in a 401k? Why save for retirement? Why not do it like people have been doing it for thousands of years? That might surprise some people because this 401k seems like it's this decades and century year old tried and true method, but if you're looking back at it, the 401k was written in the IRS code in 1978. And I don't think it was even implemented until maybe 79 or 80 by a gentleman by the name of Ted Bennett, if I've got that right, right? So this thing has really only been around for like 40 years at the most. So it's not some tried and true method. It's really not. And you, you, that is such a good point. So many people just assume that, look, this is the way to do it. First of all, a lot of people were entrepreneurs 100 years ago because they were either running their own store or they were a farmer. Uh, you know, the, 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 we've gone through corporate America and the pension system, and then we went to into this 401k and, and IRA experiment, but it's not been around that long. Same thing with mutual funds or even public participation in the stock market the way it is today. Mm -hmm. And I would say the biggest risk in most of these vehicles is the 401k and the IRA outside of the obvious risk, which is just putting your money blindly in the stock market is that you don't even know what your, your withdrawal rate will be on the tax rate. We do know that taxes are about as income taxes are about as low as they've ever been since 1931. Uh, so you're deferring paying one of the lowest taxes in your lifetime, literally the lowest actually in your lifetime, in exchange for gambling on, hey, our tax is going to be higher or lower in 20 years from now. I suspect they'll be a lot higher with entitlements ballooning, interest rates, and, and then demographics for the United States. So you don't even know what your withdrawal rate was. That's like, that's like borrowing money from Chase today and walking out the bank and going, I don't even know what interest rate we're paying. And that's exactly what you do with the 401k. You have no idea what tax rate you're going to be paying. Yeah, sure. And you know, another little fun fact I heard about 401ks is when they were first kind of implemented, they were called salary deferment plans. But as you can imagine, with a name like that, they didn't get much participation. So they had to go back and just change it to the name of the IRS code that is the 401k plan. So yeah, that really is what it is, is you're deferring your salary you earned today for a later date that you cannot access until at least age 65 and a half. And not to be grim here, but you're not even guaranteed that you'll make it that far in life, right? So, I mean, that's, a, that's something to think about when you're electing to participate in a plan like this. Sure. And that's one of the things that bothered me for a long time, even as a, as a young teenager. 
was like, why would I want to lock my money up in something that I have to pay a penalty uh, if I would drop before 57 and a half? And then if I pay that penalty, um, you know, how's the IRS going to be uh, treating that, that vehicle uh, in the future? We don't know. What is it going to be? Are the, the, there's talk that these things could one day be nationalized. You have no idea. And I don't want to go down that conspiracy route, but you don't have control. And we, what we do know is government changes the rules. The people making money from 401ks and their entire retirement cartel are the people creating these vehicles, these ETFs, these mutual funds, these uh, these programs for retirees. You know, 60 Minutes did a study on 401ks and found out that through all the hidden fees, which sometimes are about 16 to 20, that you're losing one third of your gains to just fees. That one to two percent fee on the brochure is totally uh, a misrepresentation of what's actually happening. And, you know, when it comes to what are you going to get, they try to project things forward like it's all going to be perfect. Nobody compounds average returns. I think that's the biggest scam in the entire uh, personal finance uh, community. And there are some great people who, uh, who I love when it comes to paying off debt and being frugal like a Dave Ramsey. Sure. When he talks about compounding money at 12%, give me a break. No one compounds at 12% on an average return with the S&P 500. They've done studies, uh, and on an average year when the S&P made, I think, 11% or 12% in 2017, the average investor lost 4%. Um, and they did, they did a study over 20 years where it made 12%, but the average investor got 2%. So you don't average the, you don't compound the average return. You know, I, I could tell you on a brochure, hey, the stock doubled the first year, and then it went down 50% the second year. We've, our average gain is 50%, but behind that number is you're right back where you started. You haven't made any money. So the entire thing with average returns and compounding and lock it up for 40 years, you're deferring lifestyle, life standards, as well as totally speculating on what's going to happen to that money. Yeah, sure. Interesting things there. Now, when you're talking about traditional retirement, let's just look at this big picture, kind of the the general idea. The general idea many people have is to save up a nest egg and then use that nest egg in their retirement, right? So let's just use the number $1 million. People are going to save up a million dollar nest egg, retire at 60, 65, 70, whenever they can. And then from there, what's the idea, Daniel? I've always asked myself this question, especially when I was like new to the workforce, had this 401k, trying to figure out my financial picture. Was the idea to outlive your money or have your money outlive you? Either way is a bad scenario, right? Do you want to outlive your money and then be a 95-year-old person with zero dollars to their name? Or do you want to hurry up and die before your money runs out? Those are your two options. You know, and if you talk to any retiree who's put themselves in that situation, they live in this scarcity mindset and they can't even spend. Can you imagine saving money for 40 years for some specific event? That event happens. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to tell your brain, hey, stop uh, saving, start spending. Oh, and by the way, your active income is gone. I mean, can you imagine what these people are going through? They're probably the most insecure, frustrated people. That's why a lot of retirees, they say the quickest way to death is to retire. You know, it's not, it's not a normal mindset just to stop doing everything because growth is life. You need that growth in you. And what passive income provides, and I talk about this in my first chapter, is real wealth where you have control of your time. And by the way, for your listeners, we've set up a page at futuremoneytrends.com save. They can read the first chapter of the book for free, as well as the introduction, which has 
which starts with my wife and I in a bankruptcy attorney's office. And I'd love for them to read it. And of course, there is an Amazon link for them to pursue and, and, and or if they want to continue reading the book. But the first part is free. And I'd love for them just to read that. I think that'll be very good for anybody, no matter what stage of the game you're at. But certainly the retirement idea, I don't think it's the healthy way to even plan out your life, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about, you know, so say you're going to take this non-traditional approach to retirement. You're going to start generating passive income now. How do you see some easy, low-hanging fruits for someone to get started along that path? You know, I, I always tell everybody to start with cutting spending first. If you really want to become financially independent within five years to 10 years, and, I, and this is like in the book where there's some serious cutting to do. Not I'm talk, not talking about moving your credit card account or switching your, your checking account or not drinking coffee. I'm talking about there are ways to cut your expenses 50%. Uh, my wife and I did even more. And you can do that and then that will free you up to get that low-hanging fruit in passive income. Now, ultimately, I love having physical properties like single-family homes or apartment buildings. But if you're like, look, all I've got is 50 bucks, that's fine. You can sign up on Funrise. You can sign up on Realty Mogul. You can sign up on Pure Street. There are a lot of ways to get that money working. Because I, I, I told my kids this morning at breakfast, you know, um, my, my daughter found $5 on the floor. And I said, let me borrow the $5 and I'll pay you back six in a month. And what I'm teaching her is that five doesn't need to go straight back to Target or the toy store. That five can be used to make more five, more $5 bills. So it's the same thing. No matter how small you're starting, get that low-hanging fruit. Get those private equity and crowdfunding. And by the way, these things may be new as far as crowdfunding because of the law, but this has been going on for a long time. In fact, you go to family wealth conferences. These are people who have $50 million or more in liquid, investable assets. That means their net worth is probably over 100. And all roads lead to real estate. They're buying fractional shares of JW Marriott's or farmland or a basket of, of single family homes or, or commercial properties or Walgreens office space. That's what they're investing in. These crowdfunded investments that you have an opportunity to grab, the reason it's, it's the low hanging fruit is because you can turn it on. But, but now I don't want to steer anybody away from physical real estate because with physical real estate, you do have the leverage and that's your advantage. With Fundrise, $10,000 is going to buy me $10,000. With leveraged real estate, $10,000 might, might get me a $100,000 rental. Yeah, sure. So first steps first, it might sound like nails on a chalkboard to some, but that's, you know, cut your spending habits so that you have some deployable capital. So you can go out and make those dollars of yours work for you, earn more money on that, and then compound and compound, right? And that's kind of getting the ball rolling. Absolutely. So what's the next step then? You know, it's, it's once you've cut spending, you want to start making sure you're investing, right? Buying passive income and then start reflecting on how you can make more money. A lot of times people love to look for how, what's a new way I can make money. But the best way to make money is how are you making money right now? So if you have a hobby that you can monetize or a passion that you can monetize, something you're already doing. I mean, the way with, with the internet now, I mean, you can sell your skills uh, on certain websites, on certain apps, uh, but you could also... Uh, turn your current employer into your first, your first client. And I talk about this in the book. Now, it's not going to work if you're a police officer working for a large government or, or a county, uh, but it could work if you're working for a small business, say 50 or under, more than likely you already know your boss. And the prospect is, is that you can, they can pay less because if they'll lose the workers' compensation, they'll lose different 
employer compensation plans for employees and pay you cash, uh, pay you uh, direct as a 1099 uh, in, uh, um, contractor. Yeah. However, this frees you up to go to the next company and say, hey, I'm already focused on doing account management for X company and I'd like to do it for you and here's my price. You might be able to double what you make uh, by just simply monetizing and making your first, your first client your current employer. Uh, and a lot of employers, I know I, I would prefer that with everybody I work with, but I would much rather you have your own business, plus you get all the tax deductions and tax write-offs. So it's a big win-win for both the person who's trying to make their own way and, and free themselves uh, and the actual employer who's, who's doing the compensation. That's a really interesting strategy, Daniel. What you're essentially doing are leveraging your skills and then and then scaling that to different companies, different clients, right? So that's a really cool and unique uh, thing that many people out there could do. Absolutely. And in the regulatory environment for some people, like the employers in California, they would love to do this. And, you know, one of the big fears is, is like healthcare, for example. We talk about this in the book as well. Don't say for retirement where you can get healthcare through, there are plenty of nonprofit organizations that have been around for 40 plus years. They've been paying out on every insurance claim. In fact, I would say these companies, even though we say nonprofit, they're more like real insurance companies than the insurance companies. Because the deal with these companies are, you pay them say $200 a month or 150 a month. And if your bill is, if your hospital bill is more than 500, they come in and help. But look, if you're going there because you need to get your toenails clipped or you want a checkup, then you pay the bill. That's actually how insurance should work. These $5 copays and subsidizing everything, uh, once you eliminate the behavior of any consumer, you're going to see costs balloon and go crazy. I mean, seriously, let's all ask ourselves, when is the last time you walked out of the doctor, if you have insurance, and known what you even paid? Well, probably <laughs> And that's why the insurance is so reckless and, and the hospitals are out of control. However, if you go in with this nonprofit group, I go and I tell them I'm a cash patient, even though I'm going to get fully reimbursed. And you know what happens? A $3,000 bill, by the time you're done, is like 90 bucks because they'll go, oh, it's uh, your cash patient. Oh, you don't pay $3,000 like Blue Shield. You pay 150 How would you like to spread that out? I'm like, oh, I'm not going to spread that. I'll pay it right now. Oh, you're going to pay it right now. Oh, it's $90 then. It's crazy how efficient things can be when the consumer is actually involved in what they're paying for. Well, that's, that's another interesting point you bring up. And this kind of all ties back to when somebody's looking at planning for retirement, they might think that the path they're on, this traditional path, is one of security, right? They're going to think that, oh, I'm, I'm with this employer. They're you know, providing health care and benefits and 401k matching, and then one day I'll be able to retire. And if I don't do those things, then I'm taking on risk by having to go out and create my own plan for retirement, find my own health care, and find my own passive income streams. And there's just not a sure path. So what would you tell somebody who's you know, weighing that risk versus reward kind of perspective? We all face it. It's perfectly normal. When I quit my job, my arm was shaking, even though I hated every second of that job. I despised the employer, the employee. I didn't like anybody. And I was like shaking because that was that security in my mind at that time. And when my wife quit her job as a teacher, we're like, my God, this is during the crisis too. Like, this is like a government job. You can't get fired. I mean, like this was as safe as an employee could have it in their mind. And at this point, I would be scared to death to have a job rather than lose one. And I think that's where you'll ultimately be. But you've got to take that leap of faith. And just keep in mind, there are millions and millions 
of people uh, who are self-employed or who, who, who are business owners, who are part-time freelancers, and many others have done it. So don't let that fear and that conditioning that the schools have taught us that we need a job to provide all these things. Keep in mind, jobs didn't even provide these things until government froze wages. And in order to attract good talent, they had to create new ways of paying people. So that's how employees even got stuck with paying for health care and all these things that they really shouldn't be involved in. Yeah, so, sure. you know, I, I look at it like this. We don't like to, tr- you know, I, I just went to Japan a few weeks ago and um, they eat things that are different. And I'm sure when they look at us, they're like, what in the hell are these Americans eating? You know, I literally went into the store and I saw whale meat and I was like, I was just like freaked out. My tour guide was like, you know what you are, you, that's what you think of what we're eating. But what we, when we see what you guys are eating, we're also freaked out. Yeah. Just go to a state fair and I'm sure they'll be awfully shocked, right? Deep fried everything. (laughs) Fried butter. Yeah. So Daniel, kind of remind us, take us back to that point in time when you had quit your job. What was your financial picture like? Did you have a bunch of streams of income built up? Or were you just burning the bridges, going to figure it out later? Tell us like what that transition was like for you. We had crushed our expenses. We were paying for the utilities and we, were, uh, we had just become mortgage-free. So with, that, with being mortgage-free and having crushed our, util- or our, excuse me, our expenses, Uh, we felt very good. So I quit my job to focus more on the newsletter that I had started on personal finance. Basically, it was me sharing my journey and how we're going to do this. And it was kind of cool because it was active. And I was, you know, sharing screenshots of the uh, investments we were doing, the passive income, the real estate properties, walking people through because I've done nothing but seller finance deals since 2008. So I was walking people through all these deals that we've done. And it was fun. And, uh, you know, I was like, look, it's time to do this. You know, Google was now paying us as, as an advertiser. And I was like, let's do this. So I did it and it was, it was scary. Uh, but uh, within, I would say, less than 24 months, we became fully financially free, uh, very happy and to wake up every day doing our business. I mean, I, I, I used to read in Barnes and Nobles when I was a kid, the personal finance section, like a monster and economy and self-help and all these Tony Robbins books. And now I was getting to wake up every day and do it for my job. And I would get to share these ideas. So I would, I would go to a conference and share the ideas with uh, what I learned with my subscribers. So uh, not only was I getting to have my active income do what I love now, but the passive income, because we had cut the expenses so low, the passive income uh, to get financially independent was, uh, was a low bar. So it happened quick. Uh, now, we lived like that for a little bit. I'm not telling people to sacrifice forever. We lived uh, very frugally for about 24 months. Uh, and then we lived moderately for probably another 24 months. And then probably around 2015 is when we started doing crazy things that rich people do. So you haven't been stuck in the scarcity mentality forever. It was just a bit of a scarcity mentality as a tool to get you where you needed to be financially. And then from there, you really ratcheted up, leveraged and scaled your business and your passive income streams to where you could live a life of abundance. Yeah. I mean, look, when we had financial independence and had net worth millionaire status, not liquid, but net worth millionaire status, uh, I was driving a 2003 Nissan Altima. Um, I was still living in a house that was check this out. When we bought it, it was just probably one and a half times our annual income. By the time we left it in 2014, when I moved, it was uh, probably one tenth of my annual income. Think about that. I was living in a house that was 90% cheaper than what I made 
annually. So, and then when I moved, I bought a house that was about uh, probably 50% of my annual income. So, and that was in Texas. So we, we slowly progressed and slowly moved the thing. But now at this point in time, you know, we're, we're, you know, eight, nine years into it. And now we're living the exact life we live. We just did Kenya and Japan. We did, it was hundred percent first class for me and the kids and the wife. And we're having a blast now, but it, it, it with the only reason we're able to do this with no, with no uh, consumption debt is because we had those years of sacrifice. I mean, we did crazy things in the book I talk about. One of the hardest things we did was we got rid of our dogs because they had a $150 a month uh, medical bill. Uh, so we had to get rid of our dogs. We did move. Um, and the initial move was a, was a fairly large sacrifice. I mean, we went from uh, living in a home or living in an area where all the homes were 500,000, 600,000 to moving to the desert where we bought a home for 95 grand. So, I mean, we did some, some big sacrifices along the way. So I think I can relate to this from a millennial perspective, like we talked about earlier, Daniel, but so many millennials don't want to make that sacrifice, right? They've worked, you know, for, for 20, 25, 30 years of their life to get to where they are. And they think that they, you know, want to enjoy their experiences, enjoy their things, right? And have a nice car and, you know, live in a nice place. And it can be really hard to kind of make that switch and think, okay, I just need to make this short-term sacrifice for long-term success. So got any, you know, recommendations or little hacks or anything to help people be able to kind of change that kind of switch in their mindset? Well, I, th I think the mindset has been conditioned that it's normal. It's normal to have a five to seven year auto loan. It's normal to pay 600 bucks a month for a car. That's crazy. Um, yeah. It's normal to buy a car equal to your annual income. It's normal to buy a house five to 10 times your annual income. None of it's normal. And that's the thing you have to like shake yourself and jolt yourself and then look at the baby boomers and how this retirement thing is not working out for them. And they had the best setup, they had the best stock market, they had the best real estate market, best bond market. They, they had it perfect and it still didn't work. Could you imagine what it's going to look like for us if we went, if we tried to apply this failed experiment on our lives? So I would say that. And then the, 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 the hack I would just say is you have to be all in on this. If you want to become financially independent within five to 10 years, this cannot be a side hobby or something that you're going to read a book and get really excited about and then two weeks you forget about it because there's a chance to go on a cruise and they're 0% APR for six months or whatever. You have to say, you know what, I'm committed to this and I would say declare it to yourself. Declare it to your friends that you're going to do this because look, if you ask somebody that's in med school, what are you going to be? They're going to say, I'm going to be a doctor. Are they embarrassed to say they're going to be a doctor? If you ask somebody who's, who's in liberal studies, what are you going to be? They say, I'm going to be a teacher. Are they embarrassed? No. But for some reason, if you're like, I'm going to become financially independent, I'm going to have enough passive income to pay all my bills. It's almost like you're shamed because it's like, ah, oh, I can't tell my friends that I'll look like a fool. Screw that. What are you going to be? Are you going to be financially independent or not? Because if you are, then declare it. Yeah, you bring up two really good points I want to touch in on. Earlier, you said like, hey, from a young age, I was really interested in money and finance and things. And to some, that kind of sounds superficial or sounds like a hollow pursuit. But what's your perspective on that? Is it okay to be interested in money and personal finance and, you know, and use that as a metric for, for striving towards? How, what's your perspective there? I've always been fascinated with money, uh, but never for materialism. But I will tell you this, one of the most relieving things I've ever done, and it was probably four years ago, I finally just said it out loud. I was like, I love money. And I was like, oh, there, I said it. I did it. It's like so taboo. It's like, oh my gosh, you're evil. That's from Satan. That's where the root of all evil is money, all this stuff. I was like, no, it's not. I don't love money. 
because I can, I want to sit there and stare at it in my checking account. I don't love money so that I can, uh, you know, buy some super uh, expensive t-shirt or, or, or bag handbag. I love money because I love freaking freedom, guys. I want to wake up when I'm done sleeping. I want to go to bed when I want to go to bed. If I want to hop on a plane and go to Europe right now, I want to be, I want to be completely liberated. And, and I believe the definition of wealth is the ability to use your time how you want. But know this, you have to buy your freedom. You will have to purchase your freedom. I love that. So powerful there. And another point I wanted to touch on is you talking about, you know, you ask somebody in med school what they're going to be. They proclaim they're going to be a doctor. You ask somebody who's in liberal arts school what they're going to be, and they're going to be a teacher, and they're proud about that. And you're over here in the corner, you know, sheepishly raising your hand like, I'm going to be financially independent or I'm going to be financially free. But when you say that out loud to people, people look at you. You may not realize it, but they look at you and say, wow, that's a really great idea. I think I should be more like that in an aspect of my life. And it's empowering for others for you to proclaim that. Absolutely. It's very good for your, your own subconscious mind too. I'm a big believer, you know, if, if, you, if you speak it and think it and declare it, uh, these things ultimately will come to fruition because you're focused on it. First of all, if you also make that decision that you're really going to do this, what's going to happen? You're really going to start listening to podcasts like this, watching YouTube videos, reading books. You're more than likely to join some clubs. You might even start hanging out with people. You know, one of the reasons why I still to this day go to wealth seminars is because I'm like, I sit around, I'm like, these are my people. I love going to a Tony Robbins conference where every single person in that building is like, you know what? I'm not settling for what I have right now. I want more. And I love being around that. It's a, it's a, it's a um, um, great environment to just absorb. It's good. It's food for the soul. And so I would say, once you make that decision, what's going to happen is you're probably going to raise your standards. And, you know, they say the law of attraction, the five people you hang out with the most and talk to the most is who you are. Well, I would bet that if let's say you're in a consumerism, materialistic lifestyle now, and you made that shift after reading Don't Save for Retirement, of course, um, then you might start um, hanging out with some different people. I know I can actually say that for my own net worth. It's interesting. Um, you know, when I, when I really started hanging out and speaking to millionaires, it happened, but something along the journey, I became a venture capitalist uh, around 2016. And then I started hanging out with 100 millionaires and some billionaires. Now, I'm not in that category yet, but I did notice the law of attraction. I definitely got bumped up a notch. And I think it's going to be the same thing for everybody listening to this. As you start hanging out with successful real estate investors and listening to these podcasts and start meeting some of these people and start hanging out with them, I'm telling you, uh, People who are out there making money together, it's a beautiful synergy because, you know, I have a, a realtor friend uh, who bought 27 units and I was able to participate in that. If I wasn't involved in real estate or talking to people about real estate, I would have never been in, invited into that. You know, uh, this past week, uh, I was invited into a cannabis company that has a very famous rap star that's involved in it. The only reason I was invited into it because I'm out there talking to those people and going to those conferences. You've got to be in the game. And once you do, you'll find that you'll see this will start, these good decisions will start to compound on themselves for you.
Yeah, that's so awesome. And really what this kind of boils down to is this mindset, right? So once you kind of open up this book of don't save for retirement and you kind of realize there's this whole alternate world out there and you start leveling up and, you know, hanging around people who have, you know, similar aspirations and like-minded people, it kind of forces you to grow and change your mindset and elevate that mindset. Next thing you know, you're on a whole new trajectory than you were just a short time ago. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for most people, it's just making that jump and doing it and buying that income. And I would tell you the biggest obstacle for a lot of people is that it's the, it's too small in the beginning. Well, why would I do that? It's only going to make $8 a month. You know what? Make that decision now and fast forward in 30 days, it'll be 16 and fast forward in 30 days. It'll, it'll keep growing. I mean, I kept it small. I always tell people, when you get your first $50 passive income check, however it's going to come in for you, use it to actually pay for something because you need to make this connection. We have been conditioned to not touch the fruits of our labor. We have been conditioned to hand it over to Wall Street gleefully because they're going to do something magical with it. Meanwhile, where are all the clients' yachts? So I would tell everybody, take that passive income. And of course, I, nothing nothing's more fun than taking passive income and buying more passive income. But I want you to take your first one and I want you to go buy yourself dinner or pay for a utility bill. Yeah, I completely agree with that mindset. I didn't do the same. You know, I bought my very first rental property, had that very first cash flow check, you know, the leftover money from that very first rent check. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. What am I going to do with it? Put it right back into that savings account and let it grow and try to do this thing again. So I wish I would have gone back and, you know, had like a little like initial reward for myself. But yeah, you're so right there. Now, many people are thinking, like you said earlier, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go out and buy a rental property and it's going to cash flow maybe $100, $200, $300 a month. That doesn't really seem like it's going to move the needle, Daniel. Like, I need more than that. You know, that does, it's going to buy me a few Chipotle burritos, right? It's not going to change my life. But when you start compounding that and scaling it and, you know, building up multiple streams, that's when it becomes really powerful and can really change the trajectory of your financial future. Absolutely. And it's a combination, I detail out in the book, a combination of reduce, reducing the spending up front in the beginning and then starting to build and snowball that passive income and really changing the mindset of focusing on capital appreciation to income because it's the middle class and poor that speculates. The rich are buying things that preserve their wealth and grow their income. I love that. I love that. Well, you lay outlay some really cool principles in your book. Don't save for retirement. Kind of a unique little catchphrase there, title, if you will. Kind of sounds a bit contrarian. But what are some other takeaways one might read, one might get when they read this book? And I think the biggest takeaway for a lot of people might be just kind of realizing that you choose your destiny, you choose your life. So many of us live a cookie cutter life. Uh, whether it's 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 not just in our financing when it comes to financing everything and doing all the things you're supposed to do. I think people forget that you only have this one life and uh, you know, you only have this one body. Why not use it and have the most fun when you're young and you're, you have, you have the ability to do things, the ability to see things, the ability to enjoy things uh, better with your loved ones. Uh, You know, for those parents out there listening to this show, you know, they'll say, Oh, we have, we have 18 years with our kids. Do you really have 18 years? Because from zero to 12, they're, they're dependent on you and they need you and they're with you every day and they're with you nonstop. But after that, they're with their friends, they're doing their own thing. They're, they're teenagers. And once they get their car, they're, they're really uh, exploring. (laughs) Adios. Just think about how finite certain times are. Uh, You know, I always, my, my nine-year-old son still holds my hand and 
occasionally lately when we see other boys across the street or something, I feel that hand immediately rip away from my hand. And it's got me thinking, I'm like, one of these times when I'm holding his hand, it's going to be the last time for a very long time. Maybe he'll hold my hand when I'm 90, but I'm saying every time I hold his hand, I have that in my, in the back of my brain. I'm like, this, this could be the last time because at some point in time, he's going to, he's, you know, look, I, I don't know when I was, but I remember holding my dad's hand at some point in time. I stopped holding his hand, certainly when I was a teenager. So your time is finite. It's precious. It's not endless. So situate your, situate your life so that you're enjoying your life. Um, and don't just accept this cookie cutter idea that you've got to sit in traffic, that you've got to go to work, and that you've got to pay bills. Stop telling yourself TGF right all this nonsense. That's a slave mentality that they look forward to one day a week and they, and they hate Mondays. Why, why have people been so accepting about hating their way they live? Stop it. Say no. You, you're in control of you. So start acting like it. I love it, Daniel. One of the catchphrases we use here on the show, I sign off every episode is engineer the lifestyle you want. What I mean by that is you can have any life you want. You just have to go out there and build it, be intentional for yourself, make things happen, and you can do anything out there that you want. You just have to take action. Absolutely. Awesome, Daniel. Hey, it's been a lot of fun having you on the podcast as we're wrapping up here. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Any parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience members before we wrap up? No, I would just love for them to to take the time to read the book. And if 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 they'd just like to read the first chapter in the introductory, please go to futuremoneytrends.com slash save. If you want, you're more than welcome to email me. I answer, uh, I read all the emails. They all make it to me. And uh, of course, you know, if you enjoy the book, write a review. Uh, if you don't enjoy it, uh, and I'm serious about this, if you really don't like it, send a picture of yourself uh, holding the book with your receipt and uh, give me your address so I can uh, get you refunded immediately. Daniel, hey, I really appreciate that. You've been writing Future Money Trends newsletter since 2010. Great stuff every week. And then you've got this new book, Don't Save for Retirement. Our listeners can go to www.futuremoneytrends.com for the introductory and the very first chapter of that. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Let's get you back sometime in the future. This was great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Daniel. Take care. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Daniel Amaduri. Hey, I hope you're getting value from this podcast. If you like what you heard, please go over and leave a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening on. For all those resources we mentioned in the show, you can find those in the show notes by tapping on your phone screen or visiting www.jacobayers.com. And if you'd like to access the very first chapter of Daniel's book, Don't Save for Retirement, for completely free, you can do so at futuremoneytrends.com forward slash save. Until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.